Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is the cave. Now, here's Pastor Chris. Okay, let's begin. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for another wonderful opportunity to gather together. And Lord, even in these circumstances that we are dealing with, Lord, you've called us to be faithful. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, coming out today. I know that these are unusual circumstances that we are facing. Um, I'm saddened that we cannot necessarily gather together as a whole church, but I hope and pray that uh, this situation, especially with what's going on in our country and around the world, uh, will hopefully soon come to pass. Um, for those of you who maybe be watching this sometime later, maybe in a year or even maybe 30 years from now, we're currently dealing with what's known at this time as the coronavirus. And so uh, steps have been taken to where uh, we've had to not unfortunately be able to meet here at the church, so we're streaming uh, this we're actually videotaping it. We'll be uploading it. So let us begin, though. The last almost three months, we have been going through a series on the fundamental beliefs. And after especially talking to people yesterday in the last couple of days, um, we could continue on with our series, but I felt impressed that uh, right now another message needs to be um, given, and that one of hope. I find that when I have talked to a lot of people this week, and especially as you look around, there's a lot of fear that is going about. There's a story that many of us are familiar with in the book of First Kings, where a prophet by the name of Elijah, prophet of God, called by God to go challenge, above all, the king of Israel at the time, King Ahab. He has this tenuous relationship with King Ahab. Now, before we begin reading, there's a story that I, I recently read about where there was a man who committed a great crime. doesn't say exactly what he committed, but he's brought before the king. And as they go through the sentence, he is given two options. He can actually choose his fate. One he could spend the next 20 years in a cell being chained. More than likely, his food will be substandard. He won't have a comfortable bed. He'll have no one really to talk to. Or the king pointed to another door. It was a dark-looking, menacing door. And the man thought about it. Hmm. And he chose to be imprisoned. And just as they were taking him away, he asked the king, what is it that is beyond that door? And the king responded, you know, many people who have been in your position have asked that same thing. And the king responded with freedom. There's freedom on that other side of the door. Many times in life, 
we get comfortable with where we are at and we stick with what we know. The prisoner knew he could live. It may not be great, but he could at least live through being chained up. He did not think about the possibility that on the other side of that door was the possibility of freedom. Let's go now to the book of First Kings. First Kings. And actually, I'm actually not going to read it because there's a lot of, at least the first part, we're going to talk about the context. So, in First Kings, Elijah is called to go and to confront Ahab because King Ahab, as we'll find, I believe it's in chapter 16, ascends the throne. He's the son of Omri. And one of his... Uh, one of the things that he's most known for is actually in First Kings, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And, and frankly, a lot of the kings in Israel did not have a stellar record. Many of them ended up being deceitful and very wicked. And so Elijah, also known as the Tishbite, is sent to go and to confront King Ahab. King Ahab had uh, married a, a woman named Jezebel, and she herself was not an Israelite. She influenced Ahab to bring in Baal, or Baal, a foreign god. He built a temple dedicated to Baal in Samaria, and he also installed an Asherah pole in Samaria, where he ruled all of Israel. So God sends Elijah to inform him, especially in First uh, Kings 17. Many of you probably remember this story. There will be no dew or rain in the next few years except at by my word. Now, can you imagine as well, however, if you're Elijah, how much power you have there you can feel? <laughs> no rain's going to come until it's, I'm, I've spoken it. And it's from there that God calls Elijah to go to the Karif Ravine. And it's there that he stays a while and God provides food by birds, and he drinks water from the brook. And after a time, the brook dries up, and God calls him to go elsewhere. Interestingly enough as well, as a side note, you know, sometimes in life, the brook dries up, and yet we sometimes want to hold on to that brook. When we're following God, sometimes we need to be faithful as well when we heed God's word that is sometimes at some point, we need to let things go and move on and try something new, go elsewhere. So God calls Elijah to go to Zarephath. He directs him to where a widow was preparing her last meal. And as he gets to the gate, he sees her. She's trying to gather some sticks. And he asks her, can you please make me a meal? And she responds with the fact that she's preparing her last meal for her and her son. She's a widow. She doesn't have a husband. We don't know her full story. And she was basically resigned to the fact that she was going to die. So Elijah says, don't worry about it. Make me the small loaf. And eventually all of your flour and all of her oil will not run out. So she does so. It's amazing. It's a miracle. All the flour and the oil does not run out. But we find later in the story that her son eventually falls ill and begins to stop breathing. And she calls out to Elijah, why have you come into this place? Why have you, you've helped us, but then you've taken my son away. So he takes the son upstairs and he prays 
And he prays a special prayer, and eventually the boy begins to breathe, and he brings him back down, and the woman acknowledges that he is truly a prophet of God, and that God is a true, sovereign God. So this is all just of the context of what's happening. Now, it's three years later from the time that Elijah tells Ahab that there will be no dew or rain. And God tells Elijah to go to Ahab and to inform him that he will send rain. And at the time, there's this huge famine in the land, especially because there have been, has been no water. And Ahab and Obadiah, Obadiah was one of his administrators and a faithful man of God, so much so that uh, Jezebel had been trying to knock off and, and terminate all of the faithful prophets of God. And yet Obadiah, who was in an administrator in the kingdom, was able to manage to at least protect 100 prophets, splitting them up in half and hiding them and providing for their needs. But they're in this time where there's a great famine. Obadiah and Ahab are trying to find places where they could feed their horses to find some kind of green grass. And Elijah meets Obadiah. And it's there that he tells Obadiah, I want to go and see the king. And Obadiah's response is, are you crazy? He basically relates the fact that Ahab has been looking for him. And in fact, when he goes to the surrounding countries, when he goes to them, he makes them promise that they have not, he has not come by, and essentially that they're not holding him, uh, sheltering him. They have to swear an oath that they have not seen him. So, Eventually, Elijah says, no, go and get the king. And when Elijah and Ahab meet, Elijah's response, I mean, sorry, Ahab's response is, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And when you think about it, you know, when you normally go and, and meet somebody, you shake their hands and you, and you exchange pleasantries, right? But with Ahab, he just got to the point. He basically calls them out for what he views Elijah and that, In Ahab's eyes, Elijah was a troublemaker to the throne. Well, Ahab presents this awkward greeting. Elijah calls for Ahab to bring all of the prophets. And another famous story that we're probably well-versed in is in the showdown at Mount Carmel with Elijah versus all of the prophets of Baal and also the prophets of Asheroth. And it's there that he gathers and he says, okay, today, we're going to see whose God is true. So I'm going to give you, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a sacrifice. And whosoever God calls and, and sends lightning onto or fire onto the sacrifice is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal start out early in the morning. And by midday, they're crying out, no fire. Elijah actually begins to taunt them. And by evening, Elijah finally says, enough. And then he tells the people to come here. And he creates a trench around the altar. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He creates an altar that had been torn down. He creates a trench and he he pours in about 24 pounds of seed. And then he tells uh, the people, bring me four big jars of water. And he, they, he has them pour all over the altar. Not just once and not just twice, 
but three times. So imagine, 12 full jars of water have been poured over this altar. And it's there that God, Elijah calls out to God, and God sends so much fire that the whole altar and everything is totally scorched. There is nothing left. And it's there again that everybody recognizes that God, that Elijah's God is the one true God. From there, as well, all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah are destroyed. Now, when Ahab gets back home, what does he have to do? He has to inform his wife, Jezebel, of what's happened. And when Jezebel hears about it, she becomes extremely angry, so much so that she sends a messenger to Elijah, and this is her response. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Kind of sounds like a a temper tantrum, amen? So, Jezebel, is angry. She's angered by the fact that all of her prophets had died, so she makes Elijah a marked man. And so we're here in chapter 19. And Elijah, what is Elijah's response in verse 3? Chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah, a man who's been so faithful even for the last three years, God had provided for his needs in the Kareth Ravine. He had provided for the needs of the woman who was a widow and healed her son. He provided the means as well to be able to prove that God was the true God on Mount Carmel. And then Jezebel threatens him with his life. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Elijah is afraid and he runs for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down on it, and prayed that he might what? That he might die. Can you imagine being Elijah? God had sustained. And now at this point, he is so fearful. His eyes have lost the vision. He's lost. He, he's forgotten his purpose. And now all of a sudden, he just wants to lay over and he wants God to take his life. Elijah is depressed. However, we find that all at once an angel came and said, get up and eat. And he looked around. There was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again to sleep. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat, for your journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate, and he drank. One of the interesting things as I was thinking about this passage was, you know, Elijah basically wanted to give up. But instead of going back and chastising him, God tends to Elijah's physical and mental needs. God knew that he needed rest. He needed to recuperate. He needed to recover. Eventually, he, however, continues on in his journey. So in verse 8, 
uh, he got up, he ate, drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled how many days? Forty days and forty nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. Traveling for 40 days, being on the run, that sounds exhausting, right? And it's here that God meets Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him. And God asks Elijah in verse 9, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, he tries to defend himself. He says, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and you put your, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me. So Elijah's trying to defend and plead his case. Interestingly enough, Elijah thinks that he is the only one going through this experience. And when we're scared, we tend to think that we are the only one going through that particular issue. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. On earth, there's estimates that there are over seven and a half billion people here on earth, right? There's got to be at least one person who you can identify with and going through the same struggle. Maybe a little different, but we can all, there's got to be somebody who understands your issue. But the Lord then says in verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And so there's, This great display of nature, of God using nature, wind, fire, earthquakes. And after the fire came a gentle what? A whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth, and the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Several weeks ago, my friend Manny pointed this out to me. When we are fearful, we tend to withdraw. And especially, too, when we're fearful, it seems that it's even harder to hear God's voice. And sometimes it seems like we've been abandoned by God. And God could have said from a very powerful, distinct, God-like voice, we think that God has this deep, rich voice, right? (laughs) But God chooses to respond to Elijah with a whisper. And he says, what are you doing here? Sometimes it seems that when God is silent or God is quiet, 
we don't realize that when God responds, instead of hitting us with the full force of God's might, God whispers. And when you whisper, it usually means what? You're in close proximity. God never abandoned Elijah. God actually whispers, signifying that even in the midst, God was still there and God was still close to Elijah. God had never abandoned Elijah. But when a spirit of fear overcomes us, we turn inward and we sometimes try to make our own decisions. We lose sight of the vision, the bigger picture, and especially the, the, the purpose Elijah thought he was all by himself, and yet in verse 18, God says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. 7,000 men. In our fear and in our denial of the situation, it's easy to not see the bigger picture. But if we are patient, God is still leading and reveals the bigger picture. Today, I want to talk about purpose as well. I, I googled, what does purpose mean? When it comes from the point of the noun, it says, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists, or as a verb, having a, have as one's intention or objective. In life, it's important that we want to know where we're going you want to complete something, you have to have a path. You perhaps maybe have to map everything out, process it. At least that's how I think. Some people, they just go by, the, by, their, by their luck or by their hopes, and, and maybe there's some truth to that too. But if we want to accomplish something, we have to be intentional. There's a man by the name of uh, Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychologist. And I don't know, remember exactly how, but he ended up in one of the Nazi concentration camps in uh, World War II. And he made a startling discovery about why some people were able to survive all of the horrible conditions and some that did not. As a psychologist, the whole time he was trying to process and figure these things out. And, of course, he looked at the several factors. One was... Well, what about their health? What about their vitality? What about their family structure? Maybe even their intelligence or maybe even their survival skills. And he realized that none of those were factors of, of survival. He said the single most significant factor he realized was a sense of a future vision, the impelling conviction of those who were to survive, that they had a mission to perform, some important work left to do. It's important that we not take our eyes off of the bigger picture. We have to have a goal to reach forward to because that helps give us purpose. It gives us a vision of somewhere that we can go and we're striving for and ultimately helps drive our journey forward. So I got that from Stephen Covey. Having purpose to live in live in a vision is what pulled Viktor Frankl and many other individuals who survived the concentration camps. So Elijah, he goes, he, he panics and he forgets his purpose, that he is a prophet. He is a prophet of God. 
And rather than trusting God, he trusts in himself. He turns inward, and again, he forgets how God had sustained, and not just sustained, but moved in a powerful way the past three years. Sometimes life means we have to face our fears. Sometimes it means looking at the person that you really care about, maybe asking them, taking that first step forward and asking, hey, would you like to go get dinner? Maybe you're afraid of heights and maybe you need to challenge yourself by getting in an elevator and going up, especially, is it the Biltmore? The one that has that open elevator? That'll get your, get your fears going. Maybe take a rock climbing class. If you're afraid of speaking, maybe it means signing up for a Toastmasters class. One of the most common is learning how to swim. As a, as a, many years ago when I was in college, I, I learned, uh, in addition to becoming a lifeguard, I learned how to be a, a water safety instructor. And it was uh, at that moment when I was trying to teach these kids, they were only maybe five years old. They were actually afraid just to put their face in the water. And we had to take baby steps and teaching them how to breathe. So I would ask them, okay, just stand here. I want you to put your face and I want you to blow bubbles out of your mouth. So they would put their face down and they go, teaching them how to breathe while they're swimming forward begins with baby steps and in life as well. We can't ignore our fears because our fears are never going to, to go away unless we face them head on. You can't make your fears disappear because they never will. And as uncomfortable as it is, it is we have to address our fears. And realize, too, that when we do step out, we're going to make mistakes. There are going to be some failures along the way. But yet, even in the disappointments and failures, there's opportunities for us to grow. Failure is one of the greatest teachers. And some failures, unfortunately, may be more painful than others. But one thing that one, one person told me once, I may have failed, but I've learned what not to do. <laughs> and so that's a, that's a lifelong lesson that, okay, that didn't work. What's another way? I think even was it Edison, he learned 10,000 ways of how a light bulb doesn't work, right? Not 10,000 failures, but 10,000 ways of how a light bulb didn't work. And sometimes we're afraid to fail because it may make us look bad. And guess what? There's always going to be critics. You're never going to please everybody. But guess what? There's a difference between being on the court and actually playing the game and those of sitting in the stands. And frankly, who are you going to pay attention to? The one that you're trying to get around or the one who's trying to defend you or the critics who are going to say everything. But guess what? They're not even in the game. Game. So choose carefully as well who you're going to listen to. Having purpose and direction in our lives is going to help us see again the bigger picture and move past our failures. Sometimes as well, we're afraid to take that step because maybe we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Let's get real here. Let's talk about marriage. We fall in love with somebody, right? And it's great. You, you fall in love. Maybe you get married. 
and everything is wonderful. And then you add on, okay, so we're going to have a kid, maybe a job promotion, maybe a family member is sick and you have to take care of them. And all of a sudden, that joy, while it is still there, you love that person, life gets busier and life gets more complicated. And in your relationship, you realize you're not able to talk to each other as much as you want. Sorry, <laughs> scared me for a sec. You're not able to have that same communication, that same intimacy. And if you're not careful, if you don't continue to talk to one another, what happens? You slowly start to drift apart. And maybe a year goes by, three years go by, or maybe 10 years go by. And while you may still remember the good times when you first got married and you loved that person, you become two different people because you have not communicated with one another. And as we get older, as we mature, uh, maybe our dreams and our desires change. And when we don't share those things, we misunderstand each other. And why are you going in this direction? And I'm over here and maybe I'm feeling like I'm bearing the burden of our family, whatever it may be, when we don't talk to one another. Any relationship requires that we maintain communication. And especially, it is no different in our relationship with God. A lack of communication with God ends up in a lack of direction from God. And so as followers, we're called to not only love God with everything we got and love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. All of this requires a communion with God. Jesus gives us uh, a calling and a purpose in our lives to be fishers of men and to share the gospel. And in Matthew 28, Jesus lays out the purpose, the mission, and the vision to go out to teach, preach, and baptize Share the gospel. That's what God has called us to do as a church. And while that teaching and preaching may vary in how it looks, because we think that, you know, when we think of teaching, we think, oh, being stuck in a classroom or a room and and teaching. But sometimes teaching means we also model how we are to live. I, I, I thought of this idea. Am I the same person as I am here on the pulpit as I am on the five freeway at rush hour? More likely than not, because I'm going to want to be wanting to get somewhere, and I'm thinking, come on, hurry up. Just like as well, when, when there's some kind of accident on the other side, what happens to the other side? They all slow down. Even though there's no direct correlation of the moving of the flow of traffic, we all want to see what's going on, right? And for some people, they get antsy. It's like, Okay, everything's being taken care of. Why are we slowing down? I just added another five minutes of my drive, right? But understand, too, that I'm not expecting perfection here. One of the things that I appreciate, especially about the story of Elijah, is as faithful as he was in the past, even though he was a great prophet, one of the greatest prophets, and especially he had to have the courage. God granted him the courage to go and face Ahab, one of the worst kings of Israel, and especially uh, having to deal with Jezebel, who was trying to get rid of all of the prophets of God. Elijah was a marked man. It showed as well that he was not perfect, that he himself was human. He was susceptible to the same fears, to the same bouts of depression and anxiety. So I'm not expecting perfection from us. Realize that it's our walk with God on a daily basis. 
that we walk with God. We ask God, how can I be a better servant for you today? How can I be a blessing? And as well, how can I help better fulfill the purpose in my life as a disciple for you? And in today's age right now, especially with what we're doing, there's a lot of a lot of fear. And, and frankly, it seems like you can't trust anything that's being said right now, right? Because there's so many things that are counteracting each other. So I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not a contagion expert. Um, one thing I do know. First off, the most simple practical thing we can do is take a deep breath and let it out slowly. Before we do anything, especially if we have to make a big decision, we have to think about things. And one of the things we should do is take a deep breath. You know, when we get stressed, our body actually limits sometimes our breathing. And when you limit your breathing, you limit your ability to provide oxygen to your brain. And when you don't have as much oxygen in your brain, you're not able to make the most fully informed decision. Sometimes just taking a deep breath calms and relaxes you and being able to make better decisions and gaining better perspective. And as a church as well, one of the biggest things that we can do as well is to build up the body. And the notice that we sent you, I made sure that I wanted to have everybody be reminded. Even though we may not be able to gather together and worship together, we still need to continue to build up the body of Christ. You can send a, you can send a, a phone message, you can call somebody, you can send a text message or some kind of message. And it's one of the reasons why I point this out is because for some of our members here at this church, we have become their family. In fact, I've spoken to several individuals who are extremely sad that we cannot meet because whether their family has rejected them or they have no family, we are their family. And we as humans are not called to be alone. We're, we're, we're built and community is in our DNA. And so it's important that we especially take time to reach out. It could be something as simple as a simple text message. Hey, how are you doing? Or maybe take this opportunity, if you have a list of phone numbers as well, take the opportunity to reach out to somebody that you don't know very well and just simply ask, hey, what can I pray for for you and you and your family? Something very simple. Small action, right? Something so simple. And yet it's a big reaction because somebody knows that they're being thought of, that they're being cared for. We as a body all have diff- our plate make up the different parts of the body and we are there to support one another. So love one another. Reach out to one another. And recognize as well that Downey Church, while this is an awesome, great building, I I love this church. As I've said before, this building does not define our entirety as a church because the church lives within our hearts and within our minds. So even though we cannot gather here today, we can still be a church and we can still be faithful in the calling that God has called us to, to share, to preach, teach, to baptize, and to have purpose of sharing the gospel. Pray that God will give you wisdom and discernment. We need a lot of that, especially in today's day and age. We need good judgment. Frankly as well, continue 
practice good hygiene, maybe perhaps even limit your contact with others until this issue passes. Going back to Elijah, if it appears that God is being silent or whispering, know that God has not abandoned you. God is still close. And ask God, God, please reveal. But you know, faith as well does not mean that we just sit in a chair and wait for God to give this great grand scheme and dream. Sometimes faith requires that we move and we test our faith. Our Christian experience, our walk with God does not remain static. It's always moving forward. You can't go unless you actually start walking forward and trusting that God will lead and provide and open the doors. And while right now we're planning for the worst, but the more important thing is we hope for the best. I'd like to close with one passage, John 1.5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1.5. The darkness, sorry, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Though the world may be dark right now, remember that God has overcome. And may we be the salt and light in the world that is looking for some kind of security, a hope from all the madness and all the fear that is going on. God has called us with a purpose to be that salt and light. So may you take hope in the calling of not only where God is, in the calling that God has given us, but as well, live passionately, live faithfully. Don't be afraid to fail. Father in heaven, Lord, we live in a time like no other at this point, especially in this country and even in this world. Yet, God, we know that you are faithful and true. Father, lead and guide us. And as well, Lord, for those of us who are fearful of what's going to happen, Lord, we pray Grant us peace and grant us joy. For those who are physically sick, we pray for healing. Lord, for those of us who are mentally just exhausted, we pray for rest and peace. And as well, Lord, especially on this Sabbath day, the next couple Sabbaths, Lord, while we may not be able to physically meet here together as a whole church, Lord, may we especially perhaps find new ways to be able to enter that rest of, 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 of being uh, together as a family and building a community and, and being a blessing to one another, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done, Lord. And we look forward as well to bringing us out of this predicament. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downychurch.org. God bless.